verses 20 to 23 of chapter 2 of the prophecy of Haggai are the fourth and final prophecy from God via his servant Haggai. The first and second prophecies were to the governor, which is Zerubbabel, to the high priest, Joshua, and to the residue of the people. The third prophecy was given to the priests, and that's the one we covered last time. And this, the fourth and final prophecy, is directed to Zerubbabel alone. So we've seen a general uh, announcement and proclamation to the people, and a specific one to the priests in their grouping, and then a very specific, particular prophecy to Zerubbabel alone. Now, during the course of this uh, message today, we're going to cover three points, and they will all begin with the letter S, again, to help us remember and uh, understand what we are considering. Before we do that, there are three introductory points, also uh, beginning with the letter S, that we're going to look at to introduce Zerubbabel as he stands before God. We won't be developing them in any way, we'll just be touching upon them just to put a bit of context around the setting. So the first thing we will see in verse 21 is the Lord says, I will shake heaven and earth. We've seen this before in chapter 2 and it was verses 7 and 8, how that God would shake the world. And again, that just shows us the second S, which is his strength, and the third S, which is his sovereignty. God is in control. His plans will come to pass. I will shake. I will overthrow. I will destroy. And verse 23 opens up with the words, in that day. So the events will come to pass in God's chosen time. So the three points that we are going to look at today are all found in verse 23. And as I said, they will begin with the letter S. So the first one we will see is servant. The second one we will see is signet. And the third one we will see is selected. Servant, signet and selected. So the first of these is servant. Now contrast verses uh, 21 and 23. The Lord says in verse 21, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. Verse 23, in that day saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant. So initially when you think about those two titles, which one is the better title, governor or servant? If we were just to take it in that context, governor would sound to be a more uh, impressive title, wouldn't it? But if we widen the context and think of it this way, governor of Judah, a small province. So yes, still a grand title, a grand title in a small context. Whereas the other title is servant of God because he calls him my servant. So once you widen the context and understand more about it, the title my servant is a much grander title than 
governor of Judah, because it is my servant, servant of God. As I was reading those words, my servant, I I started to think of uh, Mary in the New Testament, how she called the Lord Rabboni, which is to say my master. So if Zerubbabel is called by God himself, my servant, Zerubbabel could respond to that by saying to God, my master or Rabboni, a very personal title like we have in the Lord's Prayer where we can say our father. What a privilege. What a blessing. So Zerubbabel is called my servant. The reference back to to Samuel chapter seven tells us that David was also referred to by God as my servant. So Zerubbabel is in good company. David also wanted to build a temple for the Lord, but the Lord told him, not so. The temple will be built by your posterity, but not by you. But there was a willingness there on David's part. His heart was right. I live in a grand house. The Lord Lord lives in, in a tent or his glory dwells in a tent. This can't be right. He wanted to give the Lord the glory that was his due. He built the temple or wanted to build the temple. Zerubbabel did build the temple or was instrumental in overseeing the work thereof. Moses also in um, Numbers is called my servant. To other people, I will speak in dreams and visions, but to my servant Moses, I will speak directly. And who can forget those words at the start of the prophecy or the the book of Job, where the Lord says, hast thou considered my servant, Job? There is none like him in all the world. Now, these men that we have mentioned, and there are a few others, it's a select group referred to as my servant. All had positions of status in the communities. Zerubbabel was governor. David was king. Moses led the nation. Job was very probably one of the patriarchs. They were men of status in their communities and God called them my servants. So what is the job then of a servant? A servant has effectively one job, to serve his master. Zerubbabel, had the job to lead the people. In his service, his his job was to lead the people, the remnant, the residue, as they are called here in this book, to lead these people, to oversee the spiritual work of the building of the temple. That was his earthly specific work for that time. And we can apply this to ourselves. What is our reasonable service what is expected of us to obey god in short obedience is better than sacrifice to obey god to be obedient to his will to be prepared to do what he says to go where he leads to be like zerubbabel and to hear and to listen when the lord speaks to us to strive to love god with all our heart soul mind and strength 
Jesus too gives us an example, doesn't he, of service. I'm going to read a few verses from Luke chapter 22, verses 24 to 27. He's talking with his, he's with his disciples and there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth. Is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you, as he that serveth. So Jesus himself, set an example as one who serves. The very fact that he came into this world shows that he was prepared to serve, serve his people in being the one to die in our place and for our sins. We sang Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. He was our righteousness because we could not offer for ourselves. He willingly did. He served the Father by coming in the first place. He was obedient to the will of the Father. If it be possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done. He was obedient. He was a servant. Now, let us imitate Zerubbabel as he imitated Christ in serving God. The second S is signet. We read that again, don't we, in verse 23. I'll take the O Zerubbabel. My servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet. So, just for clarity, what is a signet? It's often a ring that would be worn on a finger, obviously, or on a chain around the person's neck. And the signet would carry the seal of the master or the king. Documents, for example, would be sealed uh, in wax. The, 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 the document would be sealed with wax and the, 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 the imprint of the seal would be placed into the wax so that they would know if the letter had been opened, but also from whom it was sent. Or the seal would be used as dipped in ink uh, to, to sign a, a letter or a document. So the signet then was a sign of authenticity, that it was something that was genuine. It was a sign of importance. And again, the greater the import of the person, the greater the importance of the seal. So if it was from a commercial master, it would have certain amount of importance for um, sealing uh, deals and such like. But if it was the seal or signet of the king, it would have a great deal more importance. And also the signet was a sign of value. Bearing, bearing in mind, if it was carrying the, the authenticity and the importance of a king, for example, it would have the value of being from the king. It was so valuable, apparently, that they would very, very rarely leave the person um that, that, that was to, to carry it. So, for example, the king would wear his seal or his signet on his finger or around his neck 
at all times. Or, if he wasn't to wear it, it would be worn by somebody who he had absolute trust in. So the king could designate somebody to carry the signet, but it would be somebody who he trusted implicitly. So this gives us an example of what God is saying to Zerubbabel. You will be a seal or a signet, a sign of authenticity, a sign of importance and a sign of value. Now, he clearly wasn't a ring or an imprint, but the symbol is there to help us understand the principle. So when he spoke, people would know that this was from God because he had God's seal. He had God's blessing. He would know, people would know that he was a servant of God. So that would give him standing amongst his own people beyond his status as governor. But he was the seal or the signet of God. As we said before, governor is a highly um, regarded position in earthly society. Servant of God is a higher position in heavenly kingdoms. So signet of God is a higher title and a greater position than governor in an earthly kingdom. So whereas he had respect earthly wise, he had now greater respect heavenly wise amongst the people. So he was sealed and he was set aside and blessed in a respect by God and given this title of signet. Now, again, for ourselves, what does that mean? We can take great comfort, can't we, as Christians in knowing that we are sealed and we are protected. And there's two verses in the New Testament to turn to to help us in, in, in our understanding of this. The first one is 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and I'll read a few verses from 19 through to verse 22 so 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 19 to 22 for the son of God Jesus Christ who was preached among you by us even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus was not yea and nay but in him was yea for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him are men, unto the glory of God by us. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us, is God, who hath also sealed us, and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. So we read there again verses 21 and 22. Now he which establisheth us, with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God. So here we see God has sealed also us and given the earnest of the spirit in our hearts. So here we see the spirit of God sealing us, protecting us, keeping us safe. So just think about those words there and then turn over to Ephesians chapter 1 and we'll read two verses, verses 13 and 14. 
I'll read verse 12 as well, actually, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Let's just work through that one again. Verse in verse 13. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth. So you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. So the word of truth is your salvation. In whom also after that ye believed. So you heard the word and then believed. Ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Which is the earnest in our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So we heard the word, we believed the word, we were sealed by the word. Got a, a quote here from A.W. Pink, which fits in quite nicely with these words here. In legal documents, the writing always precedes the witnessing and sealing. So here, the Spirit writes God's law on the heart, and then he seals the truth and reality of his own work to the consciousness of the recipient. So the law is written, and then we hear the word, we read the word, and then the Spirit applies that understanding to our hearts, and we are sealed in that word. And then what God has begun, when he begins a good work, he will finish that good work, as we read in Philippians. And here, that work is finished in our redemption, that we are redeemed, we are purchased. And when he redeems and pays back, it cannot be taken away. It's again like the verse where we say, none, no one shall pluck us from his hand. So we are safe, we are sealed, we are protected. And this is what the signet can be, mean to us. We are sealed. We are protected by God. So he has called us to be servants. He has called us and sealed us. So we are servants and we are signets. And lastly, we will see that we are, or even Zerubbabel, and also for ourselves, we are selected the last words of the of the prophecy of Haggai tell us that he was chosen I have chosen you are the words that we read for I have chosen thee saith the Lord of hosts so he was selected he was chosen so it's not just like any old choosing it's not just like picking numbers out of putting people into little groups. We have meetings remotely now at work on Zoom. So if it's a large meeting, they'll be put into little breakout rooms in, in fours and fives, perhaps. And that's just a sort of a selection that's done with no real thought behind it, just to split people up. It wasn't a choosing like that, choosing people just willy-nilly. There is a definite purpose. God has said, and it's important to remember this, I have chosen thee. So he wasn't chosen randomly. He was chosen by God. And that is the important thing. He was chosen by God. God spoke. 
Clearly, in the prophecy through Haggai, I have chosen you. But also, he was chosen, we know, because we've referred to it already. You are my servant. Therefore, you've got work to do. So I've chosen you to do a work. So he was chosen to serve God. He was chosen for a purpose. And we touched on this again before, didn't we? His purpose was to lead the people. His purpose was to oversee the building of the temple. And we know that he was there for the dedication of the temple in a few years uh, time from this. And then he disappears more or less from uh, the pages of history. But that wasn't the end of Zerubbabel in terms of his contribution. Because we read Matthew chapter 1. And did anybody spot his name in the list as we were reading through? There were a few familiar names in there. You know, David was in there. But Zerubbabel was also in there in the genealogy of Jesus Christ recorded for all history. So this was the wider plan. This is what was happening here. And this is what was referred to in the shaking. I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will send the Messiah and you will be part of the line that leads to the Messiah. You have a work to do now. But your ultimate work is to be part of that line and to be blessed in that respect. And we read in Hebrews, don't we, of the uh, the great chapter of faith. Those men who were listed for what they did and how they were faithful to God. But others looking forward didn't see the blessing, but they looked forward. Zerubbabel would be one of these. He would look forward to the to the knowledge that these things would come to pass in some form. But he would never see with his own eyes the fulfilment of these things. He would never see the coming Messiah. But he looked forward in, in, in faith. David also, we read in, in chapter uh, 7 of uh, 2 Samuel, where we read earlier of how he was desirous of building the temple. And the Lord said to him, not so, but also we read that he was called my servant. But here is another similarity between David and Zerubbabel. David is also in that line. You won't build a temple, David. Your ancestors will build the temple. But you will be part of the line for the ultimate temple, the eternal temple in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So here with Zerubbabel. You, you will carry on and you will see the temple being built, but this is only a foreshadowing. This will point you to the real temple, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so he was selected. He was selected for a specific work at that time and he was selected for a very specific work to be part of the line that would lead to Jesus Christ. Now, there are people who have been through history and in the Bible we read of them who selected for a very specific purpose even before they were born. We read of um, Jeremiah, you will be a prophet and you will build up and hew down. And John the Baptist would prepare the way. They were born with specific plans, clearly stated and given. We are born with specific plans, but we don't necessarily know what those plans are. But we know that our plan is to serve God if we are called as his children. If we have been selected by him, then we have been selected 
to serve him. Now, how can we do that? How can we serve God? We can serve God by being faithful in everything that we do, in in our preparation of our hearts for attending worship, in our preparations, in our daily readings, in our conversations, in our actions, in our interactions with other people, in how we deal with people. We have a lot of works that we are called to do and we must do them with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. Whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. Now we don't know what each other has been called necessarily to do. And it's not always for us to judge these things either. But we must know, look and examine our own selves. How am I performing against what God has called me to do? What has God called me to do? Very important question. Have you been selected? Have you been chosen by God? Has God called you today? Have you heard God's voice? Did he speak to you? And if you do serve God, then we know that we are sealed and that now no one can pluck us from God's hand. So we draw examples from Zerubbabel here. We can see that he was a servant. He wasn't a servant. God called him my servant. He was a signet. He was a seal. He wasn't a seal. He was God's seal. And he was selected. He was selected by God for a work. And he did his work. And may we learn from these examples and may we be challenged to follow Zerubbabel in that he followed God. Amen.